Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 19 today. I'm your host, Josh Shelton. I'm a partner, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? How's it going? Doing good, man. Doing good. And uh, had a great week. Went out to the E3 Summit. And we had the folks on from Talk Texas Oil a few weeks ago and uh, had a good time out there. And uh, But before we go any further, just want to say, Josh, um, you know, uh, last week after we recorded this podcast, just a few hours later, um, your wife, who is one of the sweetest people I know, her grandfather passed away. So just wanted to let you know that our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family and uh, just hated that Shelby had to go through that. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a tough weekend for us, uh, but everything's looking looking good this week. Uh, you know, families uh, got to get together for a lot of bad circumstances, but it was a good overall. It was a good get together. Got to see some familiar faces, and uh, yeah, we appreciate that, man. Well, uh, before we before we jump in, like always, we uh, we have some jobs posted at globalenergymedia.com slash jobs. Ryan uh, finally doing his job. He got uh, got those updated. I checked them this morning. We had a few that were just posted two three days ago, and uh, some lots of new ones. So if you hadn't checked those out in a little while, go check that out again at globalenergymedia.com slash jobs. Ryan, we have uh, a couple articles to, to jump into today. The first one is uh, article CNBC, oil prices rise 1.6% to a six-week high. So uh, we, I believe in Texas the, the index had it at 47.12 uh, per barrel. So we see a little jump here, man. We see uh, I think the stockpiles dropped a little bit. Uh, so overall, it's a pretty interesting article. Um, Ryan, what do you think about the the slight jump? Do you think it's something that we should expect to continue? Do you think it'll level out? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, you know, um, a season where the refineries are, are, are blowing and going. And, you know, we have high high usage because of just the summertime traffic and stuff like that. So, no, I'm not I'm not shocked that the, that the oil fell, the stocks fell. Um, you know, if you kind of look at this kind of how it starts off, it, you know, a lot of this is based upon the projection. You know, they, they expect it to do this, and then if it does that or does ex- exceeds that, and here's kind of the case it exceeded uh, by 1.5 million barrels from where they kind of expected it to be at. So it was a good drop. But the flip side is, Josh, and I think you, you, you obviously saw this, is that uh, production climbed. You know, and so production is as high since June, uh, since I'm sorry, July of 2015. And so you kind of have this weird spot where it's like, okay, well, you know, the inventory's down, but the production's up. So it looks like it's going to be short lived, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was looking at. Uh, it doesn't seem that we can, the production, people are just continuing to drill and continue to produce. So, well, um, yeah. And, you know, if you look at the article, and for the listeners, this is kind of a good thing. We talk about OPEC from time to time on here. Um, you know, one of the things that's kind of missed sometimes the OPEC deal, and this article gets it, is that Nigeria and Libya, they're kind of outside of what the cut, the drawback was supposed to be or the, or the, or the, the cutbacks are supposed to be. And so, you know, they're, they're producing a lot of oil. Um, but, you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, Josh, but, you know, the interest of all these parties is not the same. And so you have produ- producers in the U.S. who need to cash a check. They've got debt to pay off, and so they've got to drill. And got so, to drill. Yeah, and so they're in a tough spot, you know, where they're going, okay, oil's at 50. We can make money at 50. We, we've, we've just got to drill. Um, and so 
the projections, I think the EIA released their projections for the rest of this year and uh, all the way through 2018. And the projections are, you know, 50 to 50, uh, I'm sorry, 51 to $52 a barrel. That's the projection for this year and next year. If we can stay in 51 to 52, a lot of people are going to be happy. And so um, it's just don't over drill it. Then now, if you look at some, you know, some more breaks out or something, well, obviously that that would change that. But just kind of through the the general average, fifty one to fifty two through this year through next year is what the projections are. And if we can if we can get that number, um, I think that you know that would be the best thing for the industry. Yeah, I was looking. Uh, I was looking too at uh, some comments that were being made about uh, Nigerian and Libyan output has been growing fast uh, within OPEC. It's very unlikely that both countries will acquiesce to a cap soon after restoring production. And it goes on to say that Russia is trying to work with OPEC to help rebalance oil markets. Uh, but it seems like if you if you pay attention to some of the politics, uh, well, we're going to get into this uh, here in the next article. But um, a lot of the American leaders are trying to put uh, America as uh, or, or they're trying to present her as a world uh, leader in energy and in terms of supplying energy to the rest of the world, supplying oil um, but you have Russia that's working with OPEC. So it seems that there's this, uh, this kind of a strange deal going on where, where, uh, America is trying to vie for a more, I guess, pronounced spot on the, right. on the export scene. And, um, anyway, I, I thought some interesting things, uh, in, in the article about Russia and OPEC and, uh, at the bottom it has, uh, the crude prices are down around 12% this year, which, uh, I believe they said it's one of the worst performing commodities in 2017 because of those prices. But right. uh, again, I, I don't know how much stock to really put in that. Um, but any takeaways uh, from from some of the, I guess, the global scenes with Russia and OPEC and and some of the political aspects? Yeah, you know, what, that's what I was, exactly what I was going to say, Josh, is that oil and gas is so political in nature. And that's why I found it so amusing when people said that, Rex Tillerson getting in. He's a businessman. No, no, no. He's he's just as much of a politician as he is a businessman because to run Exxon, you're dealing with global leaders, you know, pol- political leaders around the world. And so, um, I had a discussion with a guy on my other podcast the other day about this, and you know, it's 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 so interesting because if you look at what's going on right now in Venezuela, and you look at what's going on with Qatar, and you look at what's going on with Russia, and then you have U.S. and Russia, and, and you have all of these political entities that all have their own agendas, and they're all trying to do stuff. And you, so you read this article, and you're like, wait, so Russia's trying to help um, OPEC balance the market, and then you have the U.S. who is, you know, whatever you think about the the Trump-Russia deal, and we don't want to get into that, that's not the purpose of the show, but whatever you think of it, there's a lot of tension, at least from the left side, of the, the, the Democrats, with Russia and and and, uh, and, 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 and our and our government. So you got that going on, and then you got Venezuela, and their, their, their economies is falling apart. And so all of these factors, it's all political because... You know, outside the U.S., well, okay, the governments are running all these companies, and so you know they're they're in charge they're in charge of the assets, they're in, in, in charge of the con- uh, the companies, and so yeah, you have to follow the politics. And we are at Global Energy Media working on right now. Um, we talked a few weeks ago. We had David Blackman on, and me and him were talking about doing a show, and he had some contra- contractual things that, that prevented him from doing that, and so we can't do that show. Um, but we're looking at a new show now, and and one of the things that we want to do on this new show is look at geopolitics and how it's affecting the oil market. So hopefully we'll be able to get that done. 
start it maybe in August, September. We'll keep the listeners up to date on that. Um, but yeah, geopolitics, you always have to watch it because it's, it's just, it's always in flux. And, you know, like a, a guy the other day was pointing out, well, the LNG projections to 2020 are this, that we'll be out of a glut by the end. And I said, well, that's based upon the stability of the, the countries around the world right now and their economy. So if the U.S. economy collapses um, late this year or early next year two years from now, we all know a recession's coming. Whenever that happens, um, that's going to impact, you know, what, how much oil we use, how much energy we use, right? And so um, Venezuela, what's going on down there is going to impact the market. And like we talk about every week, there's so many moving parts that it's really hard to get a firm grasp on where everything's heading at for any long period of time. Yeah, you make an excellent point there, Ryan, that, uh, that the, the oil markets, we're so used to it in America that the that for us we we think of oil companies as being these self-contained entities that are free market enterprise uh, industries, but for most of the world the oil is really controlled by the governments. Uh, so it it is, I mean by definition political in, right. in most countries like right. Africa and other areas, and, and we forget that. I mean when you said it, it was I hadn't really considered that. The majority of the world, I, I don't know of many that that are free. Yeah, free there's. Market. Yeah, I mean, you got Mexico, the reform going on there. Now you have Exxon and companies like that that will work, you know, in these other countries. But the but the minerals are owned by the state. They're and owned, so, yeah, right. They're owned. Uh, and, and a lot of them have their own state-owned oil companies as well. So yeah, it's completely different. Once you get outside the U.S., you know, the, um, for the most part, it's it's completely different and, and, and ran and thought completely. At least um, I would say completely different. Some people argue that it's a little bit closer than I like it to make it be. But I am so get the government out of things that I just don't yeah. see. I, I have a hard time seeing it that way. Well, uh, I, th- I think that wraps up this article. We're uh, going to move over to another article at oilprice.com. And uh, it uh, basically, uh, the title of the article is Permian Oil Reserves Are Grossly Exaggerated. Um, this is this uh, article is basically going over some of the stuff we mentioned about some of the political uh Stances that America is is trying to take in order to become a uh, a more export dominant oil uh, provider for different countries, you know, Mexico and other other areas. Uh, right now, uh, the the article says that we're, I believe it's tenth on the, I believe it's tenth on the exporting. Um, I have to double check. That. I think it's tenth on the reserves. Okay, tenth on the reserves. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and and then uh, Venezuela is the number one. Yeah, in Saudi Arabia, number two. So, yep, uh, yep, yep. yeah, it, it basically it's it's talking about a lot of people are projecting that the Permian oil reserves are going to cause us to go up that list, and it might be true. He this this Arthur uh, yeah, Arthur, yeah, Ar- Arthur Ar- Berman Arthur Berman, and he also goes by Art Berman. He's yeah, I, I really like his stuff. But go ahead, sorry, Josh. Yeah. But he he says that the, uh, the the Permian oil reserves are grossly exaggerated, and that we are overestimating how far up the the ladder the Permian reserves are going to put us on in terms of competing with these other dominant uh, oil countries or areas. Right. Well, you know, I think there's a, a couple things here. Um, first off, um, I think we talk about we're talking about oil. This article's talking about oil, not, not natural gas. I think there's a different discussion to be had there. Um, but you know, as you point out, we're we're um, we're importing nine million barrels a day, and we're 
net export 7.3 million barrels a day. Um, and, and, you know, I think I think we talked about it on the show, Josh. I know when you talk about offline, one of the things that's always confused me when we talk about um, energy independence and, and getting off of foreign oil and stuff is when you, you know, when you go back and look a couple of years ago when the 100 oil boom was going on, you know, we were, we were, we were blowing and going, but we were struggling to get stuff in the ground. Um, we were struggling to get manpower. We were really struggling. Just, just to kind of keep up with with the with the veracity of the, of the market, it was just so so high speed. It was just like, oh my gracious! And that wasn't just us; that was everyone. Um, and then, but go back and look at how much oil we imported during that period of time. So it wasn't like we weren't off of oil imports there. I think we imported half of our oil um, during that time. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like that. It was still importing a lot of oil. And you can see here we're we're you know we're we're we're, we're producing seven point three. Uh, sorry, we're yeah. Um, we're importing 9 million barrels of oil. And so it's like, you know, I, I just have a hard time with this concept of U.S. being off of foreign oil. And, and, and aside from that, there's a whole argument of the free markets about us trading and stuff like that that I think is, is relevant as well. The other thing to, to, to think about is is these horizontal, uh, these horizontal fracked wells, you know, their, their life expectancy isn't like a conventional well. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We're not going to get into on this show. Um, but I think Art points out a lot of good things here. And that, that I think here is kind of, from my standpoint, um, and I would love to hear someone, maybe a geologist that listens to the show, email me, Ryan, at globalenergymedia.com, what, they t- what their take on it is. It seems to be the debate really is, okay, so we know that there's so much oil in the Permian. The question is, how much of it can we get out? And uh, and that, that and, and so there's kind of a debate, as I understand it there, on how much we can get out. And then the debate is even a little bit more complicated than that is, how much can we get, it, uh, how much can we get out? at the current price. So is it even economic economically feasible to get it out? So even if you could get it out, it may not make money, it may not make sense because it costs much money. So um, those are some of the arguments that I've kind of read and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow and, and see where they go because if you read some of the comments here to some of the stuff that Art says, they're kind of critiquing him saying, well, maybe it's, it's not as doom and gloom as he says it is, but uh, that's kind of my understanding, Josh, on this stuff is that it's really about, um, you know, A, the, the whales fall off quicker, quicker than a conventional whale. Um, and then B, um, we can't get out all the wool, even though it's there, you just can't get it out. And then C, if you could get it out, uh, it's not economically uh, viable. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was looking at some of the stuff that Art was, uh, was posting. He kind of digs into, uh, one particular, uh, guy, John Malden. He, uh, he, right. he had a recent work, I believe the title of it, Shell Oil, Another Layer of U.S. Power. And he, he digs in on him. He, uh, he, he has a chart from, from uh, John's work or John's book or, or article, and his his chart shows U.S. being number one in recoverable oil reserves, followed by Russia, then Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and uh, and Art says the chart's so wrong that it defies explanation. He goes through and, <laughs> yeah. and pulls out some new stats that says actually Saudi Arabia is definitely number one, and then U.S. and Russia uh, in terms of recoverable oil reserves, and he has some reasoning behind that. Uh, but just overall, very insightful stuff. I mean, article was really, really good. Well, and, and one final thing on the Saudi Arabia deal. This is something that I, that I'm, I've got. Um, I've got a good insight, a good, good, good connection now with the Saudi Arabia stuff. I'm, I'm going to talk to about. But uh, one of the debates, at least it seems to be, and this could be a popular debate, but I'm not really sure, is that there's a debate about how much oil really the Saudis have. So um, think about like this. Josh comes on the podcast tomorrow. We know that you're a big spender. You're always traveling. And you come out and you say, hey, I got a million dollars in my bank account, right? Well, okay, that sounds good. We know that you're going to the Bahamas and you're going to you know, Fiji and you're always taking off and doing this stuff. So that makes sense. You've got a million dollars in your bank account. The problem is, is that no one knows except for you. Um, and, and so some some people uh, say that, that, that these, the Saudis' reserves 
aren't really proved in the sense of, well, Ryan hasn't seen a bank slip going, okay, yeah, Josh has a million dollars in his bank account. It's just Josh saying that. Now, I'm not sure how much I buy into that because um, there's, there's a lot of reasons I'm, I'm getting into it. But, but I, I hope to, in the next few weeks, I really want to dig into, um, there's, a, there's a, a lady who's writing a book on a Saudi Ramco and their IPO. And I'm really going to have some discussions with her because that's kind of the question when you see some of these projections going, okay, well, the U.S. has more reserves than the Saudis. Um, I think that's probably coming from a spot of saying that, well, we haven't been able to ver- verify how much oil the Saudis actually have. Now, the question for me is, I've, I've heard some people say that, yeah, we have verified it, and some people say that we haven't verified it, uh, but I found a source that will be able to kind of break it down for me and go, okay, how much do we actually know about their reserves? And so you can see where, you know, one person might come out and say, well, we don't we don't know, you know, um, we don't know, uh, I'm sorry, we, 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 the, the, you might have one person say, well, yeah, obviously the U.S. has more oil than the Saudis because we don't really buy their numbers. And then someone else might go, well, I trust the Saudis. So um, just something I'm, I'm working on, a little side project there, Josh, but that's why you probably see some of these discrepancies in these charts. It's interesting. It's, uh, it's helpful. I mean, I was wondering how they could have such different numbers, but uh, that definitely makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, actually. I guess, uh, how, how can we ever verify and go over there and yeah, and I, I'm not saying it hasn't been verified. I'm just saying that uh, if I'm if I'm guessing, that's what uh, I'm guessing that the the second gentleman his his take is is not verified, and Arch saying it is. But um, that's just that's just my two cents on it. Doesn't really say I, I haven't read the guy's book, so I don't know what his stance is. Yeah. Well, uh, just looking at uh, looking at the rest of the article, there's more inter- interesting stuff in there. A few more charts and some statistics. Uh, we can. Uh, what, this will be linked in the show notes if somebody wants to go check it out. Is there anything you wanted to touch on before we jump to uh, the next deal that happened in the Permian run? Uh, you no, know, like you said, there's a lot of good information there. It does also talk about some of the uh, some of the battles that are going to be laid. Uh, we've talked about this before about you know the Permian right now is very viable. What does that do to other shell plays? And it talks about you know the potential reserves in the Balkan and the Eagleford. So if you're interested in that and where the Permian may be in the long term. Um, there, there's some talk on, on that as well. And Art Berman, he's got his own website, I think. You, you should follow him. He, he's got a lot of good stuff. All right. Well, uh, oil and gas investor, we have a post here. Cold-blooded deal makers. Viper spends $270 million in the Permian. Uh, so new deal in the Permian. Uh, it was, let's see, uh, I had the acreage marked out somewhere over here. 8,905 net acres is how much uh, mineral interest they have at, at, at this time. Um and the deal, uh, let's see. Yeah, well, they increased their net royalty acreage by thirty-seven percent. That's 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 a big jump. Yeah, yeah, that is that is that's a huge jump. And uh, so, interesting move that they're making. We're going to link this in the show notes. Uh, it's kind of our our normal weekly call of hey, you might want to go check out this uh, this company. Um, where are they Where are they based out of, Ryan? I was looking for that. I thought I made a note of it. Let's see. Uh, you know, Josh, I, 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 I'm gonna have to look it up here now that you got me, now that you got me questioning myself here. But you know, one of the things about this article while I'm looking this up is, um, I, I think the thing that I, that I found interesting is they're, they're, they're buying, they're buying, they're buying, they're buying. And we talk about companies that are buying, um, all the time on the show and we say, Hey, this is somewhere to, to go look at. Um, the question for me is, is are they getting, how good are these deals are getting, you know? And so is, is Viper going to be a story where six months, a year from now we're going, Oh, Viper, Viper went out of business. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Or is it going to be a deal where they actually, you know, they're, they're, they're being very strategic and they're buying good assets on low dollar points. And they're based out of Midland, Josh. I see it here. Um, so if you go to the website, viperenergy.com, 
they're based out of Midland. But yeah, so that was kind of my takeaway is good for Viper. They're picking up stuff. Um, but at the end of the day right now, I'm, I'm sitting back going, okay, a company that aggressive, either A, they're getting very good deals. And so they're going to be positioned, you know, in a position of strength for a long time. Right. Or the other side is it's like I tell my wife, she'll say, how do those people have that new car, that new house? And yeah. I know where they work at. I don't, I'm not trying. She, she's not trying to be rude. She's just going. I don't. I don't see how the math works out there. I said, "Well, they got a lot of money. Or they got a lot of debt." And so Viper is kind of that situation right now. I'm going. Hmm. They got a lot of money. or They got a lot of debt. And how will that work out? And uh, if you go to the website, they have a in, an investor presentation. So I might check that out this week so I can kind of find out a little bit more about Viper Energy Partners. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely some interesting stuff. Like you said, they're probably getting some good deals. So uh, as the market shifts. Uh, Toward a more positive, you know, oil prices rise. I'm sure that, uh, assuming, like you said, you know, assuming they're not they're getting good assets, up, yeah, yeah, getting good assets, they'll be in a really good position and uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. All right, well, we have a new segment we're adding to the show. The question of the day, Ryan. Uh, what was the? Yeah, question that? of the day. So Viper Energy Partners, are you excited when you hear about stuff like this, or are you a little bit leery? Are you kind of like my wife going? Uh, I don't know. That that, that that just looks too good to be true. So email me, Ryan, at globalenergymedia.com, and we will put your answer on the show next week. Yeah, I'm excited about this new segment, Ryan. I think uh, it gives some of our listeners opportunity to, to interact and engage, and uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how people see some of these purchases, you know, because at some level, uh, these purchases are happening because the market is in a downturn uh, yeah. in some in some ways. But it's uh, in another, another sense, it's opportunities so well and you know josh you know me and you aren't and, and no one is no one has it all figured out and so you know the more opinions we can get on the show and um like we said uh last week when we read the article i think from energy com or wherever it was you know we're like hey you know it looks like we're e- either we're missing something or the author is so you know let us know we'd love to hear it and so yeah we want more listener feedback and so again if you if you like what viper's doing you, you know if you're a little bit leery of them that's fine too we, we want to hear your opinion ryan at globalenergymedia.com great all right, Ryan, well, I think that wraps us up for today. Uh, enjoyed enjoyed the episode and look forward to next week. Yeah, and, and one final thing before we go, Josh. I mentioned the E3 Summit earlier, um, and I went out there, and I got to meet Janet Williams Pollard, who wrote a book, Harsh Country, Hard Times. Harsh Country, Hard Times. I will link to it in the show notes. It is about um, her father, Clayton Williams, um, her father or her grandfather, I got mixed up. She was telling me about both of them, um, but Clayton Williams. And so um, it's about Texas, it's about the history of Texas oil. So if you like that kind of stuff, um, I'm actually going to go out and hopefully interview her at her house in Midland here in a couple months, and we'll play that for you when that happens. But uh, Harsh Country, Hard Times, there will be a link to the book in the show notes. I know I sent to one, one listener uh, the other day, and uh, he downloaded the Kindle sample, and uh, he was kind of really, he was really excited. He, you know, he, he downloaded it and read the sample page. He goes, "I'm gonna pick it up and read it." And um, so, um, just want to want to pass that along to our listeners. And also, we will be putting out um, next week. I think we got a lot of events that are coming up. Uh, you get some heart events that are coming up in August and September. Um, we got the SPE, which will be in San Antonio, which I, I think I'm attending that. And so, a lot of events, hopefully, to get to in the next few months, and we will keep you posted on that. Until next time, keep climbing.